Welcome to GBMA Education's Biosimilar podcast series. Seen globally, biosimilar medicines are approved on the totality of evidence gathered through a stepwise approach of comprehensive preclinical assessments and a tailored clinical program. In this, the seventh episode in a series of 12 podcasts, Associate Professor Andrew Oster, rheumatologist, will discuss his clinical experience researching biosimilar medicines in both the UK and Australia. Welcome, Professor Oster, and thank you for participating in the GBMA Education's Biosimilar podcast. Firstly, when did you first use a biosimilar medicine? The first time I used a biosimilar was when I was working in the UK. I was in Cambridge for 15 years uh, and I was running a clinical trials unit. Uh, because there was a huge amount of biologic use in rheumatology and there was a progress in the field, of course, we became aware of biosimilars and so it was important to trial these medications to see that they were safe, effective and and did not result in uh, worse outcomes than the originator products. Have you noticed any differences in outcomes between the biosimilar and the reference product? There have been no real differences that we've seen between the biosimilar and the reference product. So we used it uh, frequently in clinical trials and of course it became more of an imperative to use the cheapest agent when I was working in the UK in the NHS and so we were shifted across to the use of biosimilars. And really uh, on the ground there was no appreciable difference between the reference product and the biosimilar. Uh, We're still doing clinical trials and I'm part of a a large clinical trials unit where we're doing uh, a number of biosimilar studies. So we actually are using patients uh, who would be going on to biosimilars for this study and that's a switching study to look and see whether going between the reference product backwards and forwards with the biosimilar has any effect on the safety efficacy and immunogenicity of the drug. And so far we know from the data that's been collated around the world that there is not a difference between the reference product and the biosimilar, but we're doing further trials to assess this. So can you outline the differences in clinical trial programs between the reference and the biosimilar medicines? So biosimilars do undergo a very stringent uh, research program uh, to to work out whether they are equivalent or highly similar to the reference product. This involves pharmacokinetic and pharmacodynamic studies at the early stage, at the preclinical phase, and to really make sure that the molecule is uh, as close to the reference product as possible. And of course, the amino acid sequence, the actual drug itself is similar, but because they're so large, there are changes that occur uh, during manufacturing. Now, it's important to know that this also occurs with the reference product, that a product that was produced uh, 20 years ago is not going to be identical to one produced 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago. There are these subtle changes, but they're not enough to change the efficacy and safety nor the immunogenicity of the drug. But with a biosimilar, it's it's different to the reference product where there's more preclinical studies, and then once the equivalency is shown, they are used in a smaller amount of clinical studies. And once that's been determined in a clinical study, a, 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 um, a, a flagship clinical study, then one can say, well, this drug can be used in this situation and extrapolated to other conditions. Can you comment on indication extrapolation in rheumatology? Uh, I think we're in a luxurious position in rheumatology in relation to um, biologics and biosimilars 
used because often the um, reference study that is done is in a rheumatological condition. And so we feel confident, we're happy that the drug uh, shows its, its non-inferiority, its equivalency to the reference product. Uh, and and not understanding the science, then one would say, yes, well, now you can use this drug in multiple other indications where the drug is licensed. Uh, it might be slightly different when you're looking at it from the dermatology or the gastroenterology where they say, well, the study's been done in rheumatology, but what happens in our, um, in our patients? But really, if you understand the science, you, you, you know what's going on with a biosimilar, there shouldn't really be a problem with uh, a drug extrapolation. What information would you give a patient when you prescribe a biosimilar medicine? When prescribing biologics, there is a, a process and a, a imparting of information about the patient's condition, the need for the, for the drug, and then the information about the drug. And that involves the biosimilars as well as the uh, originators. I think the main difference is to say to the patient that we have these drugs available, they are highly similar to the reference product, but actually in the end they are cheaper and they're cheaper to the government and therefore that should allow us in time to be able to use the drug uh, for more people potentially with, with the condition. So there are ways of discussing the use of biosimilars with the patient which uh, is uh, supportive and, and make sure that they understand appropriately, uh, but of course marrying that with the information that you would give about a, uh, a reference product anyway. How do you describe what a biosimilar medicine is to a patient? The way you describe a biosimilar to a patient is that we have this product that's been on the market for some time and then we have a highly similar product that is being introduced, the biosimilar. It's very uh, not dissimilar to generic medications where we have the initial drug, an anti-inflammatory or a cholesterol medication, and then other drugs come along that are, are very similar or highly similar to that uh, initial drug. And so biosimilars by their nature are actually slightly different as are the reference products over time. So you have to explain to the patient that although they are highly, highly similar, they're not identical, but that has no effect on the efficacy or the safety or their body's ability to mount an immune response to the drug. So it's really about education, explaining that these are complex medications, they are highly similar to the original drug, but there's no appreciable difference at the uh, clinical experience level. Did patients have concerns about being switched to a biosimilar medicine? The main concerns of patients in relation to biosimilars is the, the unknown of changing to a drug that they haven't been on previously or haven't started. So I think there's the education of what uh, involves starting a biologic or biosimilar, and then if they're switching, the benefits of the biosimilar and understanding that it is essentially uh, equivalent or highly similar to the product that they've been on and that there shouldn't be any real change that they notice. Uh, it's really an educational issue here to, to understand what we're doing, why the use of uh, biosimilars is important in, in rheumatological conditions. 
it's been very interesting, the, the level of concern of patients. There are some patients who would say, no, I'm doing very well. I want to stay on what I've been taking. It's a known and uh, I'm happy and I'm doing well. There are other patients who are more than willing to change to say, well, actually, if this is going to be a beneficial uh, for society, for the government, for the taxpayer, uh, and it may allow the use of free up funds for further treatment of, of other people, uh, people are very willing to undertake that. So there is a spectrum, but overall, people don't seem to be too uh, worried about switching to a biosimilar or starting a biosimilar. Does the AFLAG status of a biosimilar have an impact on your decision to choose a biosimilar medicine? The AFLAG status of a medication does make a substantial difference to uh, how we would practice and how we would prescribe. I think it's very important these are highly complex medications that are potentially toxic and we do need to monitor them very carefully. I think changing at the pharmacy level, which a listing allows, uh, will not be able to track exactly what we're prescribing. There may be robust systems that are put in place to do that, but they would have to be pretty tight and somebody would have to monitor that. In case there was a, a reaction, we don't know which drug the patient's actually taking. Uh, around the world, there is a pushback against um, uh, interchangeable or change at the pharmacy level. And I think we really are, it's too premature to allow this. Uh, we need multi-switch studies, we need more information, but we need critically to track the drug and know what we're prescribing so that we can deal with any problems as they develop. When you write a prescription for a biological medicine, do you specify a brand? When we write uh, prescriptions for biologics, we tend to um, prescribe by brand. Now, this is a real uh, cultural change. As a medical student, you're indoctrinated to use generic names, but now because we have so many uh, drugs available, uh, it is important to make sure you know which drug the patient is getting. So there is a shift now towards actually using uh, trade names as opposed to generic names. This applies to some drugs more than others, and certainly in the situation of biosimilars, this situation is, uh, is important. Aren't we just being asked to prescribe a biosimilar medicine due to purely economic reasons? We have become very expensive in rheumatology virtually overnight with the introduction of biologic agents. Uh, we cannot live in a silo. We have to be aware of the uh, health economic issues with these drugs. Uh, they are extremely expensive and they are extremely effective in many patients, but we still need to be aware that we should drive the costs down if possible. The introduction of biosimilars should allow that possibility to use an effective, safe medication that's, that's highly similar to the reference product, but at a cheaper cost. And then we should hopefully use those savings to put into areas of medicine which need funding or to treat more patients, more of our patients, with the biologic agent because the cost overall is cheaper. How much experience do we have with biosimilar medicines? Uh, the use of biosimilars is increasing in Australia. We're still really in its infancy overall. We use a lot of biologic agents, and so the uh, biosimilars have been a newer introduction. I've been using biosimilars for a number of years now, both in the clinic and uh, in clinical trials, and I certainly feel comfortable with the use, and, and, uh, and so I don't see a major issue with the introduction of biosimilars. I'm sure that over time there will be increasing use of biosimilars as 
if this drives uh, the economic argument uh, that the benefits down, the, the, the costs down, then we should be really uh, it, it beholden on us to, to use biosimilars. Can you comment on the future role of biosimilar medicines in rheumatology? Uh, the role of biosimilars is critical in the management of rheumatological conditions. We use a lot of biologics in many patients and these outcomes are unprecedented uh, uh, over the last two decades. Um, the real issue is that they are so expensive that we need to be able to use um, less, less expensive, cheaper, cheaper agents, and this is a possibility with biosimilars. So the role of biosimilars in rheumatology is, is absolutely imperative. What I would say, however, is that rheumatologists are very progressive. The rheumatological world is moving towards uh, oral therapy. We've had our initial medications. We then went on to bi um, biologics, biosimilars. But now we're moving towards the, the jack world, if you like, the, uh, back to tablets. And there's a real thirst in Australia for oral therapy for a variety of reasons. So although biosimilars are still very important in rheumatology, there is a shift in the treatment paradigms that may now involve oral therapy as opposed to injection parenteral treatment. So what would you say to your colleagues who have yet to use a biosimilar medicine? What I would say to my colleagues who are uh, who've not used biosimilars or reticent to use biosimilars is that these drugs are really safe, effective, and do not uh, affect the immunogenicity uh, when given to patients. So that they really is from the clinical trial data, from the real world ev evidence at this stage, we have a confidence that the, these drugs are beneficial and certainly have a role in rheumatology. If that drives the price down, then I think uh, that there's really the economic argument is very strong to use biosimilars. So again, it's about education, understanding what these drugs are and what their role is in rheumatological and other conditions. Thank you, Associate Professor Andrew Oster, for joining us. We appreciate your time. For those listening online, the next podcast in our series by GBMA Education will be with Dr. Lena Thin, who will provide her insights into a biosimilar medicine switch study that was carried out at Fiona Stanley Hospital in Perth. If you would like to know more about biosimilar medicines in Australia, please visit the Biosimilar Hub at www.biosimilarhub.com.au.